Hello friends, this is John Klein III with episode 68 of Shadow and Flame of Magic, the podcast. And today we're going to review X-Men and Alpha Flight, Volume 1, Issue 1. So let's get to it, to it, to it. Once again, thank you to Francisco for finding the theme song to the podcast. Appreciate it. And you. And I know in the previous episode I was going to do New Mutant 73, but I might, uh, with the time crunch and everything, I wanted to kick off the Loki event as the first issue or episodes coming out. So we are going to change things up and do... Um, our Loki tie-in now, and if I can get my act together, uh, we'll do, I'll record 73, but usually I don't get home from my second job until after midnight, so I don't, I think we're just gonna put Inferno on hold this week, but to tie into Loki, we are gonna do this, and you probably can already figure out what the next three episode tie-ins are going to be but uh, this is uh, part one of two limited series double size x-men alpha flight the upper um, character box is storm awara shadow cat heather sasquatch and nightcrawler who else tim just say kurt but i'm like well no let's, let's do hero names and it will cost you $150, 70, nope, $1.50, 75 pence, or 175 cans, I think was a joke I was going to do there. Bottom left corner is um, Black Symbiote Mask Spider-Man. The cover is Madeline in her cool armor with Cyclops on fire. With Colossus, Rachel, Wolverine, and Northstar coming in from behind. And I, this is a near mint condition. I've maintained it thus far. And pretty sure this is a Mile High Comics sticker. And inside cover is an ad for the Heroes for Hope starring the X-Men. Which I own and... Should review one of these days. All proceeds from this comic are being donated to the famine relief and recovery in Africa, which is pretty nice. Uh, This came out in December 1985. And this issue is called The Gift. By Chris Claremont, writer, Paul Smith and Bob Wycheck, artists. My favorite creative team right here that have ever graced the X-Men. Additionally, Tom Orchardowski, letterer, Glynis Oliver, or Glynis Oliver, colorist, uh, which also two more members of my favorite creative team, uh, Anne Nocenti and Danny O'Neill are editors, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief, based on the premise by Jim Shooter, Anne Nocenti, and Danny O'Neill. So clearly the editor, editorial wanted X-Men Alpha Flight to team up. And this story takes place before the events depicted in Alpha Flight 25. So if you're wondering about that, it's before that. And the issue opens up. And honestly, Paul Smith looks amazing. And this is a couple of years after his uh, legendary original run. And we were treated to a double size issue. And 
there is a second volume, another two-parter, which is just fun how that worked out. And I want to say Kate Pride's in, or Kitty Pride's in both of those issues. So one day we'll review those. Maybe if we ever get an Alpha Flight film. <laughs> anyway, so the issue opens. Uh, Madeline's piling a group of Canadian scientists and researchers. Uh, the aircraft is a Lockheed L-100 Hercules. Workhorse of the North Star Airways fleet. Able to carry virtually any cargo anywhere in any weather. Tonight, it's humping a mixed Canadian-American environmental survey team across Alaska to the remote wilderness above the Arctic Circle. And Scott's going around checking in on everyone. Um, one of them is sleeping, who I initially thought was like a little kid, but I'm pretty sure it's just someone curled up. And it turns out one of them, or no, two of them are racist against mutants, so that's not great. And then we see, we meet a crew member. And we meet uh, the crew member, Sam. And Madeline, well, she's working, so I guess it should be Madeline, is, has a co-pilot, but I don't think they say his name. But it's just nice to see that Madeline did have friends, and I don't know where these friends disappeared to. As far as I know, they're still alive. But they're crew members of Scott's grandparents, so it's not like they are fake people. And I can't believe I said that. And, but Madeline Pryor is also not a fake person. But they have recognizing that there's some odd lightning. And so they're going to try brace for um, a rough landing. And all of a sudden... Uh, Madeline can't see anything because she's blinded by the light. Scott lets out a Madeline. A continent away in the town of Salem Center, roughly an hour's drive north of Manhattan. Douglas Ramsey's entertaining some friends. And for whatever reason, he is making a real like butt of himself. Uh, pretending to be a vampire. And I don't know who this other person is. Is it Danny? But it's definitely Ileana. And his uh, joking... Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's this Ileana and it's four friends at the... Uh, the... The um, The soda shop. And then he goes as far as to pretend to suck uh, Ileana's blood from her... Uh, tricep? And so she's like, get lost. And he's like, whoops. And he falls down. He like, like sort of crashes into a booth of three other gals. And they're all laughing. Like, Doug's just being charming. But, you know, it could be seen as obnoxious. As this one guy picks him up. And he's just like, you're lucky you're not a mutant punk. Or I'll beat you up. And it's like, seriously? Why Why do these people have to be so problematic? And Ileana just stares him down. And she's like, put him down, Larry. When I'm finished, now. Who's going to make me, Ileana? And then with a deaf glare, he's just like, eh, don't look at me like that. I didn't mean anything. I'm cool. It's cool. No harm done. I'm sorry. Please. I'm sorry. As his voice trails off, which is just a fun way they depict it in a comic. So Ileana escorts Doug out because they no longer feel welcome there. And opens up a, a stepping desk and takes them home. And 
I don't even know why that scene exists, as that is the last we see Ileana and Doug in the issue. <laughs> and I didn't read ahead, so... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, there is one more battle. And with that, I mean, as far as I know, is this a transition? Or maybe it's like, hey, the racist people on the plane are also not the only racists in this world. And so, but it does transition us to the X-Men. But also, I suspect, cut to the X-Men would have been fine. But, you know, we got Paul Smith drawing Ileana and Doug. So, that's just a big old win. And with that, Ileana manifests a stepping disc and teleports herself and Doug a few miles outside town to Professor Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. It's a very exclusive academy with very special students, all of whom are mutants born with extraordinary abilities that set them apart from the rest of humanity. Doug and Ileana are part of the Xavier's novice class, while Ileana's roommate and best friend, Kitty Pride, belongs to the senior team, the X-Men. So we're in the danger room. Uh, Ileana has teleported Doug there. And Kate's, or Kitty, is wearing... Like a sweater look, but not the classic Excalibur look. Uh, and so, I guess it's like Kitty's outfit around uh, 200. And Kitty's saying, training sequence program, guys. Hi, Ileana. Lucky, that's my snack. Lay off, dragon. Which is this fun that, hey, everyone, we get Lockheed's co-creator back on drawing the guy. And actually, I guess it's the entire crew from Uncanny X-Men 166. So it's just reunions all around. This is the danger room, wherein Xavier's pupils learn and hone the use of their powers as individuals and teams. And Kitty's asking everyone's ready. Everyone thought they were, but then Rachel loses her ever-loving mind. She's getting a hit hard of a side flash. The systems are overloaded. Kitty shouts, oh no, Sentinels, this isn't my scenario, Ray's changing the program. And I always forget people call Rachel Ray, which is just fun saying Rachel Ray. Wouldn't have been that funny in 85, but you know, that name is something else now. The room can create any environment, any situation, any threat imaginable. Some are sophisticated illusion, but others are real. This scene from pulled from... Rachel's memory is New York in early 21st century, an alternate timeline where mutants are hunted down and slain on sight, including her family, including her friends, a fate she hopes will never come to pass, yet fears cannot be changed. And we see Rachel back in her hound outfit with a goon standing behind her. It's the present-day X-Men, though, who are freaking out about the Days of Future Past setting. And with awesome force, Peter Rasputin, Ileana's older brother, sends his teammate flying, as Wolverine requested a fastball special. Wolverine's unbreakable, razor-keen adamantium claws extend from bionic housing built into his forearms and able to cut through virtually anything. Do the rest. And before the Sentinels can draw a bead on him, Nightcrawler's or Aurora's replacement as team leader teleports him out of harm's way. That's right, Storm's not in this issue. That's interesting. Because she's been depowered at this point and living with Forge? Yeah, that sounds right. And while Rachel is still... Um, oh, so there's two... No, no, no. It's the same Rachel. 
But Colossus protects her with, um, while the Sentinel blasts at her. So he takes a hit to the back. Rogue shows up but gets punched by a Sentinel. And she starts flying. And um, she warns Colossus to watch out. It does. And Rogue immediately absorbs her teammates' powers and psyche. Colossus drops to the floor, unconscious, human, and helpless. Meanwhile, upstairs in his study, Xavier is working on an academic lesson plans. When? Professor, help! Uh, kitty. And then he's catching up um, what's going on. I'm phasing through the command console, sir, and thereby disrupting a security. Secretary. But it isn't having any effect. The computers, the systems are all completely under Rachel's control. So then Xavier gets down to her, or telepathically, to Rachel and eases her mind to the point where she can recreate where what set her off. And it was, you know, what we saw already with Scott and Madeline. And we see the plane get wrecked. One of the wings crashes or like, comes off and then the plane crashes into the snowbank so we see Scott's on fire like from the cover and everyone says what Clash is like Cyclops Wolverine's like Scott no 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 I think that's Nightcrawler so it's like Scott and Rachel ends the page with daddy and then we cut to the other cold build team Algary Alberta Canada home of wrestling the best of wrestling. The medical center of the Sarsi Reservation, in which Dr. Michael, two young men, is busy examining a fellow member of Alpha Flight. So, um, he, Dr. Two Young Men, or the Alpha Flight member Shaman, is help, uh, doing a checkup of Walter. Sasquatch, who's worried about every time he uses his power, he's becoming more and more mindless as he does it. Uh, and I guess he's dating Aurora at this point. And they are flirting like crazy. And then uh, Shaman catches up to Heather. And they're not really sure what to do next. When all of a sudden, uh, they see Snowbird just fall into the room. She looks beaten and there's uh something going on at Ungava Bay and then a shaman catches her and then all of a sudden gets thrown against the wall with a psychic phoenix talon and Rachel's just shouting at him uh, you attacked my father I want to know why I want him returned to me unharmed because witch doctor if you're dead if he's dead and Shaman's trying to just, like, get his, like, bearings in. He reaches into his bag, his satchel, and then Rachel um, telekinetically flings it away from him, but right into Heather's hand. And so she, so her whole, up to her elbows in the bag, and she is freaking out. And Walter and Aurora start running to um, the ruckus. He powers up. She changes to her uniform. And it's like a white bathing suit. With yellow trims. So it's not like the classic North Star uniform. Which is like black and white. And full body. Rogue is. 
Oh yeah, so we see the Blackbird is catching up um, and Rogue's taking front and center. Uh, Rachel, oh yeah, Aurora runs into the room. Rachel, I don't know, she's very full of herself at this point. Or she's very feeling herself, I should say. And so Aurora comes in the room very aggressive. Rachel immediately notices there's two personalities at work and so goes from the aggressive to the more docile. And so we get, I don't know what her real name is. Is Julia or something? Thanks to Puck, he says her name. Janine Marie, who hates, I guess, the Aurora character. And if I remember correctly, like, she was in an orphanage, like, raised, like, in a religious orphanage or something. And then, because uh, she's twin of North Star, but they didn't grow up as twins. Right, reuniting as adults or teenagers. So she's not impressed with Aurora's clothing. Like, it's too scandalous for her. Oh, and she speaks very French. And Heather's just freaking out. The shaman can't help her. Then she's shouting for a Sasquatch or Puck to help. Puck's barreling down the hallway. Sasquatch is destroying rooms as he's way too big. Rogue's about to touch ground when Northstar tackles her into the air. But she kisses him to knock him out. Which she thinks to herself. But along with his powers, I have also absorbed his memories. Every particle of his being. I know his joys, his pain, his dreams and terrors. All his secrets. And we can only assume which North Star secret is shouting the brightest at all times. Shaman is trying to help Heather, but he cannot uh, concentrate enough to help with this chashel. Sasquatch just destroys the side of the room, just yelling at Rachel, which Rachel has this great rebuttal of, if I were a wolf or a ball, I'd be scared stiff. And then finally, Kurt teleports Xavier down, and he just, like, schools Rachel and, like, shuts her down and, like, chastises her. You know, and, and imagine this Rachel's like 19, but he's treating her like she's like 9. And uh, Sasquatch turns back to Walter, who's nude now. Which is, you know, a nice touch of like, oh yeah, he, I guess he doesn't have the uh, unstable monocles. So he's trying to calm her down. Uh, Dr. Young Two Men, which now that I say that, am I right? Two young men, I'm sorry. Two young men. Um, and this is Kurt to help out. And so together... Uh-oh, I missed it because I was going to make a joke about... Okay, so he earlier he tells Heather, Do not look inside the bag, Heather, or you risk losing both mind and soul. So Kurt finally takes off the panel here on page 18. And I legit can look straight into that pa that bag. So hopefully I don't lose my mind and soul. And then uh, Shaman's daughter comes in. Uh, codename, her real name Elizabeth. But codename Talisman. And so she's going to start helping out. So that he can get back to Snowbird. Xavier gets back into his body because he's been just yelling at Rachel. 
And so now he's just trying to lead the X-Men now. And he is wearing a New Mutants training outfit. So that's just funny to see a grown adult wearing it. Oh yeah, and so we do a little recap, and then the tale is fully told, which is bold of Claremont to be like, we don't need to repeat it. They're reading the same comic. But Snowbird is very faint. She's like on the verge of collapsing, but something horrible is going on in Gava Bay. And then Kurt references that they're tracking a mutant going there as well, so it looks like they're heading in the same direction. So Heather, being the depowered member, but so she's very Candy Southern with the Defenders, is leading Alpha Flight. And so they all get ready to go. Again, Kitty says, hey, sure, why not? The more the merrier. And then we get to the double page issue, issue that features Loki. And he doesn't show up ever again in the rest of this issue. So let's do this. Elsewhere, in a place that is as much apart from the worlds of gods and mortals as it is a part of them. If gods can be said to have gods of themselves, this is where they live. And it is here Loki of Asgard, god of mischief, adopted son of Allfather Odin, has become seeking a prize beyond prize. I don't recognize any of these, but... They're all like, we see thee, Loki. And by the seeing, Prince of Asgard, do admit thee to our presence. And Loki's tiny. Like, he's an ant compared to these giants. We who sit above in shadow bid thee welcome. I assume one of these is Odin, but I guess not. Because no one's ever... Uh, they don't name check each other. My task is complete, noble lords and ladies. My part of our bargain fulfilled. The time hath come for thee to honor thine. Not so, not yet. We charge thee not simply to do good deed for the people of Midgard, but in the process to prove thyself worthy of our favor. The one is easy, the other far less so, as thou art discovering. The boon asked of us by thee is great and supremacy precious. We do not grant it lightly. I am the son of Odin. It is not in my nature to ask for anything. Be that not the point of this entire exercise, little god, to prove that nature can be changed. As we recall, thy half-brother Thor, god of thunder, had to learn that true humility that must needs temper such awesome power as we immortals possess. Mayhap, this is thy turn. Some might say that a bonafide savior of the universe who stood by Odin's right hand when the All-Father faced the Demon Sorter. See Thor 353, Anne and Denny. Might have little to be humbled about. True, or a very great deal. Be patient, Loki. Thou shalt hear our judgment anon. Then Loki's walking away thinking, Once, not so long ago, I'd have chafed at such treatment. I would have raged, threatened, schemed, fought, and thereby lost all. But I am not the god I was. I will remain master of myself and my emotions. Behave as nobly as my doltest brother. And thereby accomplish what is beyond even his might. Loki, the trickster, the deceiver, the so-called god of evil. Shall bring everlasting peace to the earth. So now we can speed this up a little. 
the better part of a day later, the 1,500 miles to the northeast, and they're flying not as fancy of a plane. Puck was able to get it, and no one wants to know how we, how he get, came about it. Kurt Lowe is wearing an awesome bomber jacket and a red scarf and a pilot hat, so he is, he is ready for... He understood the assignment. And now we get a fun... Uh, Um, I was going to say not a homage, but just a callback to how Cyclops went around look, checking on everybody. And so now, so now does Heather. Uh, Shaman's not looking, feeling great about Snowbird's, uh, condition. Then we see Xavier sitting facing Snowbird. Behind him is Colossus. And in our aisle, or across from them, is Walter and Aurora. And neither of them are happy about Rachel, and Aurora is not hiding the fact, and so Rachel can doesn't need her tel- telepathy to um, sense it. She's hearing it with her own ears, and she's just embarrassed. And Kitty says, "No argument there, Ray," and Lockie's like, "Meh." But Rose overreacting. Somehow you two have got to make peace between yourselves. Our lives may depend on it. Lockheed, relax. This is none of your business. As she literally puts a gloved hand over Lockheed's mouth. And I think I'm going to use that panel as the uh, promotion for the issue. So you can't, or episode. So you can check that out on Instagram and Twitter at SNFWM. And so Heather finally uh, checks in on them. Uh, Rachel's continuing to apologize. Like, but she's like, well, we all wish we can undo what we did. But she thinks to herself, which is silly, as Rachel can clearly hear these thoughts. If I hadn't distracted Mac for that crucial split second in New York, I wouldn't be a widow. Alpha Flight 12, Danny. And then she finds uh, Wolverine and Logan. And they talk about how they have history together, but the X-Men's family to him and Heather and Mac is family to him, but Alpha Flight's more like friends. And then they reference, um, oh no, Heather says, I'm surprised he agreed to join this mission. You know he quit the team. And then Danny says, Alpha Flight number, and then doesn't list the number, but it's literally blank with a hyphen hyphen D. So I can only imagine it was Anocenti. She would have provided it. But they were talking about how North starts is out and about. Or he's flying ahead and Rogue's flying with him. And she's surprised that he allowed that as he doesn't get along with women. And I don't know why that's the case. And so North Star is trying to be rude by talking to her in French, but he tells her that they speak French in the uh, Mississippi Bayou count country. And then like she's talking a little straw in her between her teeth and North Star's finally recognizing like, oh hey, wait, where do you get that? And so they go to check out on that. And they do have a sweet moment where he's like, I'm a mutant. Without my super speed, I am nothing. I have nothing. And she rebuts it. That's funny. Without mine, I'll have I'll be everything. And so given the coordinates, uh, they're landing. And we see all this like fresh grass. 
And the uh, teams come out of the plane. And then all of a sudden, Kurt is caught by surprise by something. And an awesome uh, page reveal. We got a beautiful double page splash of this, like, palace, right, between these mountains. And it's, like, gigantic. Like, I don't know, 20 X, <laughs> X mansions combined. And all of a sudden, they see a, a person coming towards them. And so everyone's getting braced for a fight. But Xavier doesn't think he is hostile. As we find out, they he un, he pulls off his hood. And it's Scott Summers, everyone. But not with his visor. And he's welcoming him to paradise. And that he will explain to them how they... Uh, how he came to be. But I don't know, this face looks awfully familiar. Like, it's clearly modeled after somebody. But I'm trying to think of 86 actors. You know who I think it is? It reminds me of John Wesley Ship. So, I don't know. That's what reminds me on page 30. And Rachel's trying to get the must, um, muster of the courage to tell him. Because Scott doesn't know anything about Rachel at this point. But a fun detail is that we can see his eyes... And then we see Rachel's eyes, and we can sort of see, the, you know, the Scott in her genetics. But she's um, chickening out, and we see Kitty's thoughts of poor Rachel. She looks so sad. This must be awful for her. Which must also make Rachel feel super great. Introductions are quickly made, which is nice that Claremont also has taken a sentence to summarize all this. And then Rachel, oh, oh, and Scott's like, who's the redhead? She seems strangely familiar. And Rachel quickly shouts to everyone telepathically. I was like, don't tell him until I tell him. So Xavier's like, uh, a new student, Scott, a telepath. Her training is at a critical stage. That's why she's with me instead of back home studying with the new mutants. She has no codename as yet. Her name is Rachel. To which Scott says, pleased to meet you, Rachel. I'm sure you all have questions. So they're all walking to the cathedral or the citadel, the palace skates. We get another double page um, spread, but the upper half is two different panels where they're walking to the room. And then we turn to the right page and we're facing them. So behind shot, forward shot. And then when you see all the new, um, all the Canadian American scientists and crew... And they all look super tall, too. And Madeline's there, wearing the same armor from the cover. And she says, Welcome, dear friends, to what we hope and praise the shape of our world will come. And Earth, whereupon its children, human and mutant, both will live for together forever in peace. And so she's going by the name Anodyne, which... Well, I don't know the origins of it. But she has the power now to heal. And then she'll, she goes to Puck and say some words that I don't think are, are appropriate these days about his dwarfism. But she changes it so he's no longer affected by it. And he's now regular size. And he tries to take a step forward. His shirt's ripped and his pants 
are ripped, but he falls backwards and Heather catches him, but then uh, he's a full-grown-sized man, so he trips her over, and then Shaman picks, catches her, and it's just a funny little scene. And so they laugh about that. Sasquatch uh, asks for help himself. Uh, he turns into Sasquatch. Uh, Maddie, or she's working. So it's just get used to saying Andodyne. Touches his face and now he feels calm. And then Aurora walks up to Sasquatch as he's on fire. And she's also now has mental peace. So... How great for everyone. Northstar is a little upset though. Anyway, tries to run to his sister, but Wolverine Rogue hold him back. And then uh, Sasquatch throws Aurora into the air, so happy. And Shaman's realizing what a jerk he is as he's completely lost track of Snowbird. And Sasquatch is looking up in the air like, Aurora, you gotta fall down now. But she can fly, so she's clearly okay. So he's gonna run to look for... A shaman's gonna run out to look for Snowbird. Uh, Wolverine's gonna go looking as well. And then one of the scientists is now Pathfinder. He's gonna look also as well as well. Meanwhile, within the Citadel, so that's the word they're going with. They're explaining what happened. Oh no, no, they're introducing people and what their powers are. This one gal, the one who was who I thought was a kid, uh, is now awake and has the power to feed and clothe people. So that's pretty fun. As we see a fun panel, the upper panel is them slowly walking to the left. And when she says clothe people, everyone's ruined outfits are now fancy clothes. But Kate's outfit, or Kitty's outfit, did not change at all. Because I guess hers remained safe. And she's like, cute outfit, Peter. It suits you. I wonder, could Miss Ballinger conjure up enough to single-handedly end famine and want? Wouldn't that be something? Doll Kitty, it would. That is a dream worth dying for. And then Ro walks up and... Asks us to see if her powers can be controlled. And then Madeline does her... Or Anodyne does her trick. And to test it out... Uh, Northstar puts his hand out for Rogue to gently touch. Which is something Withers should have tried to do. Instead of just grabbing women's arms. And it works. She's touching him and nothing's happening. So then she kisses him once again. Northstar and Rogue chaotic couple as they are and so now Xavier's like well okay we're well, now enough time's passing tell me exactly what's happening and Scott's like the professor I will like in a moment but if you think something's amiss like scan our minds and then an awesome revelation happens small wonder Cyclops when I scan for two minds and find three and Madeline just blushes. What are you talking about? What's going on? And Kitty's quick on the uptake. Madeline, that's great. You're going to have a baby. And Rachel thinks to herself, but is it the girl that will grow up to be me? 
And Scott, why didn't you tell me? I wasn't sure until my transformation in Adeline. And then I decided to wait until my healing powers made certain he wasn't affected by it. Congratulations, hero. Your son's going to be perfect. And then they make out. And Rachel loses her mind again. Son, a boy. But I was first born and only child. This means whatever happens, I'll never be. In this timeline, this era, this reality, Rachel Summers will never, can ever exist. Which Excalibur will later play to its full pros, um, prospects. But Rachel is a, a unique individual throughout the multiverse. Where she's the one and only of her kind. So Rachel, or Kitty's like, Rachel, and runs off. And as she's running off, Xavier doing the jerk move of like, let me tell you the thing you're doing. Shadowcat, follow her. On my way, Professor. I can guess why Ray's so upset. I wish I knew how to help her. And Lockheed's also on team Find Rachel. Shaman tells Talisman to... I guess that's fun how both their names end with Mon. To go with uh, Kitty. Talisman is all for doing it as she's an archaeologist. So she's been wanting an excuse to look around the uh, Citadel. And so they finally get answers. They go into this giant room and there's this giant bridge that goes into, how do they describe it? We call it our magic fountain. It reaches from the roof of the sky to the heart of the world. And so Heather's feeling like she wants to go down it. She's the only one with no power. So she's the only one that can see what happens. Yet, I would say that Scott has powers and he also was transformed. So, I guess even with powers, you can uh, still go through the process. So, then Heather comes back. She's not sure where her powers are, but she is now tall as well. So, now Puck is no longer... Well, no. Puck is still the shortest in the room, but not as short as he used to be. And Kurt's excited by the prospect of maybe everyone in the world can come here and get powers. And then mutants won't no longer stand out just then without warning the sarsi enchanter has no powers of his own when in need his he reaches to his medicine bag and the appropriate charm comes automatically to hand the pouch is his gateway to a myriad realms and states of being it is somehow keeps them all contained providing an orderly framework to a universe of transcendent chaos but now those barriers have broken down the madness is loose to consume both Shaman and his world. And so uh, Adeline throws the shashel to the twins as they go outside. And the demons are still chasing them. And they're like, well, this is highly suspicious. And so they come back after throwing the shashel just away. And Shaman is clearly beaten up like, to the point where Adeline cannot save him. And with him, perhaps a dream. Oh yeah, as she shouts, or not shouts, but she says, The creatures hurt him terribly, North Star. Try as I might, my healing talents have no effect on his wounds. Forgive me, Alpha Flight, but Michael, two young men, is dying. To be concluded, X-Men Alpha Flight 2 on sale next month. Then the outside, or the inner back cover ad is for the Nightcrawler miniseries by Dave Cockrum. 
From the pages of the X-Men, the fuzzy elf himself in his own four-issue limited series by Dave Cockrum. Action that will buckle your swash like it's never been buckled before. First issue on sale July. Only 75 cents. And the back cover is just the other half of the front cover, which is pretty fun. And I failed to describe. So as Loki overseeing the Citadel with Sasquatch, Talisman, Shaman, and Puck. And so next week we will do issue two. But what a great comic this was. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And you can follow me on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Blue Sky at JackoSII. You can follow the blog at ShadowandFlameOfMagic.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating the podcast and subscribing and asking a friend to listen, we appreciate that. And I will talk to you next time. All right, everyone. Bye.